0: All right, so the series has been called Change of View. If you've been with us, you know that um, the thesis of this is that spiritual maturity, growing, in other words, spiritually, requires us to modify our thinking. And, and we've, we've, if you go back and listen online, if you, if you missed it, but Scripture is quite clear that um, that God changes our thinking and how we think determines how we live and how we love and whom we love so and how we grow. So this is really a big deal. So this week... We had small group at my house. I have about 10, 12, 15 people that show up for small group, and one of the couples in there has known me for 25 years. Um, I've been in, in Rochester for about 28, and they've been—we lived near them. Now, they didn't attend Crosswinds, and I was a youth pastor in the beginning, but we were in the neighborhood, and they were going—I don't think they were going to church anywhere. But during part of our night together, the woman turns to me and says, like very near the end of the meeting together, she turns to me and says, you know, Doug, I said, yeah, you've really changed. Okay, tell me about that. She said, well, when I first met you 25 seven years ago, I didn't like you at all. You were such an arrogant, prideful jerk. <laughs> and she goes, no, but now I really like you. And I got awkwardly silent for a moment, you know. And she said, "No, I'm not. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings." And I, she kind of caught me because I was in between trying to figure something out. Was that the greatest compliment ever, or was that the greatest insult ever? And I, <laughs> I'm stuck between these two places. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. She saw change over 25 years. She saw growth. So some of you are going, "Oh, Doug, if only you could do that during the next 25. Well, that would be such a good thing if you could become." So, so it was just an interesting moment that. But that's what she's talking about. It's. That spiritual maturity, and, and and if I if I can get over the hurtful part of it, the good part is I'm not the same guy. And candidly, I don't want to be the same guy. I I hope next year I'm not the same person that I'm growing. This is what spiritual maturity is. This is be it's not just knowing more; it's becoming someone different. And and you know, so yes, information is important, but transformation is what God is really after. And that, so every time we read Scripture together. One of the questions besides what, who, where, when, and why, we should be asking is, God, how do you want me to think differently after reading this? What do you want to speak into my life that I need to hold on to to change so that I can become, so that I'm not the same person? So that's what we've been focusing on. And we've been focusing this particular series on Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. It's called the Beatitudes. Um, And I didn't tell you this before, but if you start counting them, you could have done this yourself. There's actually eight statements that Jesus makes where it starts with blessed be, and then who gets blessed, and then what, what their reward is. And so there's eight statements that, makes, that Jesus makes like that. And if you read them and start to analyze them a little bit, you're going to find out that some of them are passive and some of them are active. All right, what do I mean by that? Well, the passive ones refer to things that happen to us. We don't have to go out and seek them. We don't have to pray for them. They just come our way as we follow Jesus, and so we're going to be blessed by that. The active ones are ones that God goes, okay, choose this. Step into this don't don't avoid it. just step right into it. So we said from the beginning that Jesus is talking to to would be followers. remember he 's at the beginning of his ministry. This is the first uh, teaching that Matthew records up on this up on this mountainside and Jesus turns to them, and implicit is, as you follow me, to all these statements, as you follow me, if you're going to be a follower of mine, and then he makes these statements. The first one we've talked about, so this is the first beatitude, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for, their, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, think about that for a moment. This is a passive one, right, because none of us are going to pray for poverty, None of us are going to go, okay, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to step right into poverty because that's why I'm following. That's not, none of us do that. But he's saying, hey, when poverty, whatever kind of poverty is, comes your way, let it help you realize your need for God and you're going to be blessed. Right? So it's a, it's a passive one. I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, poverty is a good thing. God uses it, though. Every single health, money, whatever kind of poverty we have. Second one was this. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Right? This is not an active one, this is a passive one. When loss comes your way, don't go out and lo- try to lose things or people. But when loss comes, when you're mourning, I'm going to be there, Jesus. As you follow me, you're never going to be alone. As you follow me, I will be with you for every painful moment. So that's the, the passive and active. So the next five beatitudes, that's the first two, those were both passive. The next five are active. These are calls from Jesus to say, hey, as you follow me, step into this. Choose this. So the third beatitude we talked about last week. It says this: God blesses those who are humble, and other translations will say meek or gentle. Right? They all come from the same Greek word, can be translated different ways, but it means the same kind of kind of thing. God choo- blesses those who step into humility, who choose to be meek when they could power up, who choose to be gentle and not use all their strength, but restrain themselves, for they will inherit the kingdom, the whole earth. The whole earth. So those are the first three messages. We took one week for each message. Today, we're gonna hit the gas pedal a little bit. We're gonna get through four or three beatitudes today. So we'll be on number six by the time we're finished here. The first one will take most of our time. The other two ride the coattails of the first one. So here's the fourth beatitude, the one we're gonna talk about today the most. It's Matthew 5, 6. Here's what Jesus said. He said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Okay, and I notice I got an asterisk by the ju- justice word there. We'll come back to that. Why? For they will be satisfied. They, they choose to, it's active, they choose to hunger for thir- and thirst for justice. By the way, we have choices to make about what we hunger and thirst for, right? Last night was Cinco de Mayo. We had tacos. You missed it, but you could probably still smell it in the building if you pay attention. All right, and, and last night I said, Some of you right now, you're you're hungry and you're thirsting for tacos, Mexican food, awesome. But if I start mentioning other places, you know, like Texas Roadhouse, and all of a sudden somebody goes, yeah, you know, Texas Roadhouse. I said, you could be hungry for steak instead, but you're not going to get it here, right? And so it was we we choose to be hungry and thirsty. For things we can train ourselves for what we hunger and thirst, and Wall Street counts on training us for what they want us to be hungry and thirsty for. And Jesus says, "I want you to hunger and thirst for this word called justice, but it's it's not just justice." Okay, I rarely do this, so this is just this is not about trying to be smart. This is just I looked up the word because I was a little concerned because I found out that that uh, commentaries or translators. Your Bibles will say justice, and some of them will say righteousness, and some of them will say justice and righteousness, because they couldn't make up their minds. The Greek word is sune, and you don't have to know that, because I can barely say it, and it doesn't matter, and I didn't memorize it, I looked it up, so I'm not even smart, but that's the word. That's the word, and, and it can be translated justice or righteousness, and, and really, it's a coin flip in your Bibles. Like depending on the translation, we used to teach NLT New Living Translation. They chose justice. I wish and I'll tell you why in a moment. They would have chose righteousness. Okay, so here let me give you a couple definitions. So righteousness is being without blame or sin. Right? Your mom goes, "Why didn't you do such and such?" And goes, "I did that. I'm righteous here." Right? I'm, and you get righteously indignant. Right? Because I'm I'm sinless. You can't be mad at me, and you get all fired up. But righteous just means you are without sin, right? I'm choosing to do the right things. I'm choosing to do the correct things. I'm living in a way that honors God. I want to be a righteous person, right? Hold on to that. So let's go to justice. Justice is being treated. It's not doing right. It's being treated right. And we all want justice. At least we want it for us. Right? We all very sensitive about justice. We're very sensitive about injustice. What's the, you know when when a high school kid, when I was a high school kid, my dad's favorite quote to me, he would say, you know what you say more than anything else, Doug? Why? He goes, that's not fair, right? Because I would because he made there's so much injustice in my home growing up, and and it wasn't fair. I had two older brothers and and it wasn't fair and a younger sister and believe me it still isn't fair right and it's not just because we're very very sensitive about justice and I can prove it to you in fact you can run this experiment at home put up a sign that says hey this afternoon when you get home put up a sign in your yard that says this afternoon free ice cream for kids right and and I want you to do this with someone else's kids, because it's going to be messy if you don't do it with them. So put up the sign, 2 o'clock free ice cream. Get your ice cream. Get some cones. And, and you'll probably, if you've got some kids in your neighborhood, hopefully you have some, or go to the park, whatever. You'll probably have some kids lined up. Make them line up, and then say, okay, um, I'm going to start giving out the ice cream. And give the first, all except for like three kids, give them this, two scoops of ice cream, right, on, on a cone. And, you know, they're gonna be, when they get that, what are they going to do? They're gonna say thank you. This is awesome. I can't believe it's free ice cream. Parents are gonna be curious about you to make sure you're a safe person, but give them the ice cream <laughs> anyway. You know, stranger danger ice cream. Okay, but the last three kids, I want you to give them this. Now, what's gonna be in the heart and the soul of the minds of all the kids who, for absolute free, got two scoops? If they could yell one word, one sentence out, what would the sentence be? Not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, what wasn't fair? I said I'd give you ice cream. I said I'd give you a cone. I said I'd give you it was free. What do you want from me? I, I want what they got because it's not fair. So we're all sensitive about justice. We really want it, but we're really sensitive about it for ourselves. Now let me make a case why I like righteousness in this passage more than I like justice. And it has to do with this. Righteousness is bigger. It's bigger. I can't be righteous while I ignore justice. Righteousness always includes a sensitivity towards justice, a commitment to doing what is just and right. And this comes out in Scripture over and over again, that God is very concerned about righteousness and justice, but they're inseparable. All right, let me take you to a passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah was a prophet. Normally when we hear the word prophet, we think it's someone who's telling the future, oh, he's a prophet. He's telling us what's going to happen. Sometimes that's that's true, but often they just had to deliver God's word to somebody. Right? So Jeremiah was called to confront the king of Judah, and I can never say this right, but I don't really have to. It's Jehoiakim. Okay? We're going with that. It doesn't really matter. There's too many vowels too close together for me. All right? So he's called to confront the king of of judah about about a justice issue and he didn't i mean i think he doesn't want to do it but he has to go imagine that for a moment you have to go confront the king right so jeremiah tells us about that chapter 22 he says this is what the lord said to me go over and speak directly to the king of judah right say to him listen this is a message from the lord not from me i'm just the messenger you, excuse me, from the Lord, you king of Judah sitting on David's throne. By the way, do you notice something? God didn't say his name either. Too many vowels, right? (laughs) He, He didn't say his name because he wouldn't give him the respect. Listen to this message from the Lord. You king of Judah sitting on, not your throne, David's throne. Let your attendants and your people listen too. Let, this is for the whole kingdom, but you're the leader. You're the leader. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right, righteousness and justice. They go together. Right? You, can't, you cannot be righteous without caring about just, justness. And you can't be committed to justice without doing something about it. Help those who have been robbed. Rescued them from their oppressors, right? (laughs) Guess who the oppressors were? Some of the people in the kingdom, right? They weren't paying attention to crime, to taking care of those things. Quit your evil deeds. Come on, be righteous, do the right thing. Do not mistreat foreigners. By the way, who were the foreigners in their day? This is the land that God had given them. Foreigners were just people who were wandering through. Maybe they stayed with them, right? So don't mistreat the foreigners, orphans and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. Now we're gonna pause here for a moment and I'm gonna let you think some questions through just a little bit, but they're they're your questions, not to be answered out loud. Who are our foreigners? Again, this is just you. Who who are our foreigners that we can't ignore? That we shouldn't mistreat? I mean if it's good if it's for good for a guy with too many vowels, it's good for us. Who are our orphans? Who are our widows? And I will speak to that one just a little bit because I've become convinced that our widows are not people who've just lost their husbands. They're all the single moms trying to figure it out. They have all the problems and challenges that every widow has. Who are our widows? And who, who are our innocent that we're tempted to murder? Who are they? God goes on, he says, if you obey me, come on, king, if you obey me, there will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. You're a descendant of David, there will always be one if you obey me. This kingdom is going to last. The king will ride through the palace. It's kind of a promise for him. The king will ride through the palace gates in chariots and on horses. In other words, there's going to be strength. With his parade of attendants and subjects, it's going to be prospering for you, But if you refuse to pay attention to this warning, I swear by my own name, catch this? He wouldn't say his name, but God says, I swear by my name. This is a very heavy confrontation, says the Lord, that this palace will become a pile of rubble. So those of us who went to Israel, we stood where the pile of rubber, rubble came. We stood in that very place. It's being dug up today and reassembled and put back together. God cares about righteousness, and he cares about justice. But if we choose righteousness, the umbrella will cover the justice. We cannot be righteous and ignore injustice. And that's, that's the invitation of God. He says, come on, be righteous. Now let me tell you the one thing I know about being righteous. If it is being sinless, I'm not. It's so the one thing I know. When I, every time I hear this word about, hey, you've got to choose the right things and do the right things, I, I get overwhelmed because I know that I, I can barely do a few things right. I can, and, and, and if righteousness means sinless, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not even aware of what kind of sinner I really am. Right? It's, I'm oblivious to some of it. And I know that there are times, and especially before I became a Christian, there's times where I'm going, I'm not right with God. I might be forgiven as a follower of Christ, but I'm not right with him right now because I'm ignoring things that he wants me to deal with. He won't even say my name out loud anymore for a little bit. You know, it's come on, Mr. Pastor, get your act together. You know, you got to choose to do the right thing. You got to choose to become the right person. Uh, and there's times where I have to deal with with that. I'm not sinless, and sometimes I'm not, By the way, this is the power of sin, isn't it? The power of sin, the, the reason it has such a death hold on us is that we feel like we're far from God because sin always breaks up relationships, right? So, so husbands and wives, when they're having real problems, the, the root of it is, how are they sinning against each other, right? When I have a problem with God, what's the problem? I've got sin dividing me and God. With my kids, when something's going on, someone, and it's always them, did something wrong, So so from a young age, we developed strategies for getting right. By the way, you need to know something. This is the heart of every religion. Every religion is trying to find a way to help us get right with God again. We all, everybody experiences we're not not right with God. We're far from God. So some people just go, well, there is no God. And other people go, well, there there might be a God, but I don't know. And then other people go, there's a God, I, I just feel far from him. And then some people go, well, actually, I feel close to God. So what's, I feel right with God. What's the strategies we develop? So I developed from a young age because um, sin would interfere with my relationship sometimes with my mom. Well, everybody, but my mom especially, right? I would do something wrong, and I learned how do I get right with mom. So strategy number one was apologize like cra- crazy. Grovel if you have to, right? So mom, oh, when I'm, only when I'm caught. Mom, I'm so sorry, I am so sorry I did, oh, mom, I feel so bad about that, I shouldn't have done that. And what I'm hoping for is to so go, okay, okay, you're sorry enough. You're sorry enough, I just forgive you because you're sorry, right? That's what I want her to do. Just kind of wink at it, go the other way, move on, right? And sometimes with my mom, that actually worked. But if it didn't work, then I have to go to another level. And <laughs> Level two is making up for it. Mom, I'll clean the yard. I'll make my bed. I'll clean my room. I'll do the dishes. I'll I'll be your slave for an hour. Okay, half a day. Whatever you need. Mom, I'm there for you. I just want to I just want to be right with you again and forgiven and let off the hook and not be punished. Okay, those are the things I want, right? So I want to make up for it. And and some you know you could try that, but that didn't always work with my mom. So the, the third level was patronizing my mom or sucking up. Mom, you're the best mom ever. <laughs> I love you. Do you remember that Mother's Day card I made for you last year? You cried. You cried. I just love you so much, Mom. You are such a, and and I, in high school especially, I had that down to an art. I always kept up a certain level of patronizing my mother. Now, she was either very naive or she was brilliant because she just let me do it, right? So either she was enjoying her, she goes, I'll let you just get away with it patronize me because it's a lot better than you, the other behavior I get. So I don't know which way she went, but those were the strategies. And here's the ironic part. Those are exactly the same strategies we go to default with God. Right? I mean, with God, when we feel far from, don't a lot of us, I mean, me included, we start with just, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you know about this. I mean, that I did this. I'm so sorry that this has happened. And, and we grovel with, with apology by the way this is this is just this ripping wearing sackcloth and ashes and we're so sorry and it's it's good to be sorry it is but being sorry doesn't make it right being sorry doesn't even fix it it's not how sorry we are right secondly so it's god I want to make up for it I want to I'm going to do good things. I'll be your servant. I'll read my Bible. I'll go to church. I'll sacrifice animals. You know, whatever it is, the idea is that we're making up for our sin. And what if you go on the street and ask people, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven? Most people will say, yeah, you know what? I think so. And you go, Well, why? Well, why? And most people who don't even go to church will say, well, I think if there is a God, here's how it works, that there's bad things I've done. I know that. But I think on the balance of it, I've done more good things. And I'm, when I look at other people, especially, and put them on the scale, I go, I'm better than most of those people, and I think my good stuff outweighs my bad, so I think God's going to have to go, you know what? You're mostly good, so, so you're forgiven. And what they're really saying is, I've made up for it. I've done more good than bad. I've, I've covered it up with good things, the bad things I did. There's a few I know, but mostly I'm good, so I'm getting to heaven, right? And by the way, does that work with your kids? Your kids come, and they they broke into the cookie jar, and they're not supposed to, and they know they're not supposed to, and they're caught with cookie crumbs all over them. And they said, look, you stole cookies. Yeah, but I made my bed, and I cleaned my room. Is that going to work for you? Look, I did mostly good things. No, it's not. You're going to go, yeah, that's good. You're supposed to do those things. Let's get those cookie crumbs off. All right, so number three, patronizing, sucking up. Now, it's not really sucking up to God, What? It's being religious, isn't it? It's. Did you, did you know sometimes when we sing songs, we're not really worshiping or patronizing? I mean, you can come into church and go, God, I'm at church today, and you're wonderful, God, and you're awesome, God, and I'm praying to you, oh God, and we're singing these songs together. And some of us sometimes, maybe it's the same person, worshiping sometimes, patronizing God other times. Trying to go, it's okay then, right? It's okay. We we do religious things. We we go to confession. We memorize Bible verses. And the question isn't what we're doing, whether that's good or bad. The question is what spirit is it done in? Do we really think we can manipulate God? And, and I'm not going to read the passages to you, but there are passages where God says, I don't want to hear it anymore. Your songs mean nothing. Why? Because these people are all patronizing him. Because that's not worship. Worship includes righteousness. Worship includes obedience, and righteousness includes being aware of injustice. Right? So these are strategies we use, and I just want you to know, just in case you're confused, it doesn't work with God. God sees right through all that stuff. My mom, maybe not, but God for sure. And here's here's the crux of it. I cannot be righteous by piling on apologies, good works, or religious behavior. Those strategies will not take care of this distance problem that I have with God caused by my lack of righteousness, but more my, the sin, the disobedience. This is very similar to my basement. You're going, what, your basement? Yeah, when we first moved into our house, we went through the house tours, this, this wall down in the basement, a storage place with lots and lots of boxes um, in front of the wall. And, of course, we didn't move all the boxes and look back at that wall. So we just went through the house tour. We had the house inspected. The guy didn't look at it. When we uh, got moved into the house, I think it was the first or second year, it started to rain because that's what happens in Minnesota sometimes. And the water came down and from behind there on the wall on the floor leaked out some water. And I'm going, what's this water all about? And I started moving the boxes, right? And then I moved the shelves and I see the wall has been painted with plastic goop. Right? And, And I looked... Kind of through the plastic goop, and there's a crack in this in this foundation. And I'm thinking, ha, huh, there's a crack in the foundation. Now here's the problem: they had a crack in the foundation. It was bleeding water. And the, the previous owner goes, "Well, it only happens once in a boom. I'll just paint. I'll, I'll cover it up. I'll cover." And then he puts the storage boxes in front of it, right? Can I just now? I'm not saying he's an evil person, but we all are. But he thought he could cover it up. He th- he thought he could fix it by just doing a little patch job on the, on the inside. And some of you are in construction here, and you go, that ain't gonna cut it. And it didn't. And it didn't. It had to be, you know, relandscape, dug up, check the from the outside in instead of the inside out in a house. But with us, it's the opposite. Healing takes place from the inside out, and God needs to work. So what is God's path to being? Right, and, and the path is one that we have to accept, not one that we, that the path is the cross. This is the whole point of Jesus. He goes, you can't fix these cracks. You can't stop this bleeding inside of you. You cannot become righteous on your own. You cannot even become forgiven. Just because you're sorry or trying to cover it up, it will never work. Those are bad strategies. It requires something more. Here's how Paul described it when he was talking to the Corinthian church. He said, we speak for Christ when we plead. By the way, catch this. We are being the prophet to you. We're speaking on God's behalf. We're giving you the message that Jesus told me to say to you. Here's his message for you. Come back to God. For some of us, it's not coming back to God. For some of us, just come to God. We've kept God at a distance our whole life. Come to God. Come to God. For God made Christ, Jesus, who never sinned, who was totally righteous, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And he comes into our hearts, the Bible says. It just means our hearts, are souls. And he does an inside work of forgiveness. That's why he died on the cross he who knew no sin, he who was righteous, gave up his life so we could be righteous, even though we're not. We're forgiven. This is the only strategy that God endorsed. We can be as sorry as we want to. It doesn't really matter. Right? We, we can do all the good things. By the way, nothing's wrong with being sorry and nothing's wrong with doing good things. And we can be as religious as we want and there's nothing wrong with doing most of the religious behavior that we do. In fact, many of them are helpful when they're done in a sincere and good way. But if we, if we skip the cross, we're just covering it up. We're trying to fix something that will never be fixed from the outside. It can only be fixed from the inside. His death pays for our sin. Our righteousness with God is forgiveness through Christ. If you're here today and, and you've always wondered, so why Jesus? What, do we really need Jesus? This is why Jesus this is why he came. This is why another prophet wouldn't do. Another message wouldn't do. Someone had to do something, pay for something that we could never pay for. And that's what the Bible teaches. If, you've, if we've tasted forgiveness through Jesus, think about this for a moment. If we've tasted that forgiveness through Jesus, he gave his life for it, shouldn't it be normal to, to desire to honor God? Right? Shouldn't it be normal to thirst and hunger for righteousness? God, I just want to honor you now. And that's what I think righteousness means for us, that thirst and hunger to honor God. We know we're not going to do everything right. We know we're not going to solve every injustice in the world. But with my little life, I just want to honor God. With my little life, I want to do what's, what's right. I'm not talking about all the rules. I'm talking about honoring him and finding doing what he wants me to do. And I think if I can paraphrase what Christ says in this particular beatitude it's this as you follow me be active desire right living make honoring god your life mission and that's what i think jesus was telling his followers that day his would-be followers up on that mountain all right so that was a long one i got it the next we're gonna go by quicker because they ride the coattails so beatitude five is the very next verse matthew chapter uh, five verse seven god blesses those jesus said who are merciful for they will be shown mercy merciful. Well, when we hear words like mercy, we we kind of think we know what it is, but let me just make it more clear. So, mercy and grace are two different things. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Right? So, <clears throat> when I cried to my mom and I said, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." In my house, we got spankings. It was it was, you know, back in the caveman days, you got spanking with a club. <clears throat> and um <laughs> No, nah, it was anyway, here the wooden spoon, okay? Anyway, so Mercy would be, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And if she said, if she said, okay, don't do it again, I just got mercy. Because I didn't get what I deserved. I deserved, in our house, I knew I deserved to hear the drawer pull forward, all the implements of destruction slide to the front of the drawer. <laughs> right? And then the wooden spoon comes out and takes me down. That's what, if she could catch me. Um, but that was kind of, you only had a gl- moment to run. <clears throat> so... Excuse me for a minute. So mercy is not getting what I deserve. With God, you know what I deserve, the Bible says? You've sinned, we've separated. So, okay, keep going. Okay, you're separated forever. Okay, we're done. That's I'm the one who turned my back on God. What do I deserve? Right, so mercy is not getting that. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. You know what I don't deserve? God saying, come to me. Get sin thing, we'll take care of that. That's what Jesus died for, come to me. This is grace. Every good thing that comes from God is grace, but that's the ultimate grace is this forgiveness of God in my life. And here's, we're almost done with this one. I think Jesus says, or the logical thing for me is, if we've tasted mercy from Jesus, shouldn't it be normal? to give mercy to others? Shouldn't it be easier to forgive someone if we just take a moment to think of how much we've been forgiven? And I think Jesus would say, as you follow me, come on, be active in this one. Choose this. Choose mercy. And remember, you want God's mercy. You want that to continue. All right, so that's Beatitude number five. Number six, Matthew 5.8, it says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And you can probably already tell that, yeah, this is really connected to that righteousness thing, whose hearts are pure. What's a pure heart? Well, I think it's uncorrupted motivation, that when you check your heart, you go, I have one motivation. It's pure, it's right, it's good, right? So it's a clean, pure, single-source motivation. Here's the problem. The problem is the Bible's very clear that none of us have that. All of us have an inner struggle going on between what we know God would want and what a darker place wants. Here's how Paul described it to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let that good source in your heart guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Right? So there's a spirit and there's a sinful nature. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other in your heart. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Sometimes you want to do the right thing, but it's always a battle. Right? It's it's hardly ever pure. So let me give you an example. When I teach up here on this stage, there is a huge part of my heart that just goes, Oh God, I mean this is the way I pray, Oh God, take today and make it count. People who come in, God, if you would speak to them, if you would move them, I can't make that happen. Only you can make that happen. Would you, would you do that? Even if I screw up, would you not? Would you take advantage of it? Would you use my my weakness and my good stuff and do something that really matters and change lives, God? That's what I want. So that's that's the pure part of me. The other part of me is going, man, I hope I look smart today. We should show them a Greek word because that always makes people look smart. We should try to pronounce that guy's name correctly because that would make me look smarter. you know. I, and, and so there's a part of me going, I want the best and the purest, and another part going, yeah, but I'm also self-interested. And, and that battle is always going on all the time. Even as I'm doing something good, I don't have pure motivations about what I'm doing. And that's what Paul's talking about. You you want to do the right thing, but you can't even do it because your hearts are messed up. This is why David prayed in Psalm 51, 10. He said, God, 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 create in me a pure heart. Oh, God. He can't do it on his own. He can't finish this battle off. He can't make himself pure enough and good enough. Renew a steadfast spirit, a strong spirit within me. I want to run the full race. I want to become the person you made me to be created me this pure heart. But I think the battle's always there, and I think it is, God, my prayer, God, help the pure part to win. Help the Holy Spirit part to win. I don't want to, don't let Doug drive the train. It's going to be a mess. So I think Jesus, if he was to paraphrase this, would say to us, hey, as you follow me, be active, and be active by being aware of your heart, your motives, and fight and pray for a pure heart, just like David did. Fight and pray for that. Make that something be aware of it. See, as I teach through the series, and this is probably what you're experiencing too, I keep thinking, man, I need a I need new thinking. I've got a f I have got I got to fight this fight. I gotta I gotta think because if I don't learn to think differently, I'm gonna stay the same and how I think determines who I am. And it will determine the kind of person and your opinion of me in twenty five years. Some of you in this room right now, maybe 25 years from now, you know what, Doug, when I first met you, I didn't like you at all. You were an arrogant jerk, but look at you now. You've been humiliated. It fits. It fits. And and you're a different person. You've changed the way you think. As I think about the kind of thinking I have from today's message, I think, you know what? All too often, I'm worried about my ice cream while I ignore the hunger of others. By the way, ice cream just gets bigger and more expensive as we get older, doesn't it? It's not ice cream anymore, it's other stuff. But I'm focused on my ice cream and I ignore the injustice of others. I'm very sensitive to my justice and insensitive to other people's justice. That's got to change. I find out that I want to live forgiven, but I want to hold other people accountable. Isn't that kind of what we do? We go, that person wronged me. And we forget about everything Christ has forgiven us. And we're very concerned about how that person wronged us. And we have, God, I want to let go of the grudges. I don't, I want to live in mercy for others. But my thinking is going to have to change. I'm going to have to practice remembering how much you've forgiven me. And the last one for today is, God, I find that I'm oblivious and I'm comfortable with a divide, my divided heart. When I when I start talking about there's this part of me that wants this and this part of me wants the other thing, can I candidly with you? Most of the time, I'm not even aware of it. Most of the time, I'm not saying, okay, God, show me my divided heart. It's just there, and I've grown comfortable with it, and I think that's dangerous. So God, I got to think different. I, I got to become aware of this battle within me, I've got to fight that and pray for it because I want to have a pure heart. And I think God would say to us, as you follow me, hunger and thirst for my righteousness. Give others mercy and seek a pure heart. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for that, for myself, and maybe you can join in. And then today we're going to be doing... Uh, at least one baptism that I know of this morning. We have four for the weekend and maybe others. Um, I'll talk to you about that in just one moment. Let's take a moment just to focus on what we've talked about and pray together. God, maybe you want to say something to us about our own righteousness right now. About justice. God, would you reveal to us because we are the leaders and the kings of our own lives. Would you show me my lack of righteous behavior? Would you show me my my widows and orphans, my foreigners? Would you show me how I'm involved in the death of innocents? God, would you remind me of, not to beat me up, but so I can live right. Would you remind me of how much I've been forgiven? How much mercy I've received so that it becomes natural for me to extend it to others. So it becomes unthinkable not to forgive. God, would you let me start working on the grudges that maybe I'm carrying? And finally, God, would you would you help me find a pure heart? I, I got this feeling that I'll probably be battling this for the rest of my life, this two-sided heart. But God, would your spirit, would you, would, would you let goodness win? Would you let your spirit win that battle? Help me lean into it. God, thank you for inviting us to follow. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your love, and especially thank you for letting us call you Dad. And it's as your children we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm Mary. What a great job! It was such an honor to be a part of your baptism. All right, let's pray. God, help us to live following you help us to remember that you're with us during those times that things happen that are are hard whether it's poverty or mourning some kind of loss and God help us to be active actively seeking humility actively seeking righteousness and justice actively seeking to be pure in heart God, help us to follow. Help us to remember you are with us. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, have an awesome day.